It's rolling now. So. It's rolling. Okay. Sleep button. Sorry. So it doesn't turn off. Oh. Well, it was fun last night. Enjoyed visiting with you, even though I hit you about as hard and serious. You guys are very good listeners. If something doesn't make sense to you, I, I want you not to just stuff it somewhere. You know, you, you hang on to that. There's going to be plenty of times for question and answers afterwards. I'd, I'd like to be available during the rest of the day to visit with you. Um, if something really doesn't make sense in the middle of it, it won't bother me if you raise your hand and go, that didn't make any sense. You know, and, and so I, I don't mind that. Um, on a light note, um, oftentimes what you think you hear and what I think I said don't always match up. I was doing a wedding many years ago. Um, the, the, the guy was a six foot three Air Force officer, grew up in our congregation. He's standing there. She's six foot tall. She's a model, uh, really is a model. They were taking pictures, you know, uh, for her magazines and those things. And, and so she's standing there, and it looks about as, as pristine as the, the, the books make it to be. Well, it came time for the vows, and Curtis was his name. When he started to say his vows, started crying. And he couldn't finish it. I mean, so here's this guy, this officer, and it's, it's just, he can't get his words, and his voice is caught, and, and so there's a long pause, and my wife is sitting back, oh, two-thirds, three-fourths of the way in the uh, crowd with a five- or six-year-old daughter of ours on her lap, and Katie leaned over and said one of those whispers that you can hear everywhere, you know, um, why is Curtis crying? And Julie whispered back, he's saying his vows. Katie said, A-E-I-O-N-U, what's that to cry about? And we lost the audience. I mean, they, they all heard that, A-E-I-O-N-U, why? What's that to cry about? Um, if you actually want a good marriage, here's the foundation we start with. I'm going to get very, very practical on dating on the last session. So I'm going to get into dating. How do you date? What do you, what do, you do when you date? What are the stages in dating? I'm going to get into that. But I still have to circle the wagons on the most foundational things. Great marriages come off character. I'm, I'm alliterating here. Wholeness. And concepts. You have to have personal wholeness. And you have to have the right concepts. And if you have the wrong concept, you'll just frustrate yourself to pieces. Um, you ever seen a, a child um, sit there in the floor with that they come in all the little hippopotamus that has, you know, triangles and squares and circles. And, and this child's trying so hard to get a triangle inside a circle. And they just shove and they shove and they can't get it. And, they, and, they're, and they're so mad at that stupid hippopotamus because it won't work. No, hon, there's a concept you don't understand. There are many people, even I think, that come with a lot of wholeness in their life. But there's a concept that you're going to have to understand as well. The best way for me to get to that concept is to probably debunk a little bit of one that's out there that doesn't work and then give the one that does. Let me grab my markers here. I told you there's three models of love that exist out there. Model number one is a one to three year marriage. It basically goes like this. You meet my needs well enough. I can't help but love you. And so why do you fall in love with somebody? Because they come into your life and they just begin to invest in you and look after you and they make you feel like a million dollars and you didn't think you were pretty enough, skinny enough, talented enough, or well-liked enough, or, or maybe you just had the fear or any of those things. And they step in your life and you go, wow, this is wonderful. And it feels like love. Trouble is, it's a negotiated contract. You give me enough and I'll love you back. And nobody can do that. It runs its course. It's, it's, it's over soon. The second type is a, it, it sounds better. The second kind of love is a five to eight year marriage, but it sounds right. When I first tell it to you, you're going to go, well, well, that's the right one. No, it's not. No, it's not. Not for a lifetime. Won't last. The second type is basically this concept that I love you because of who you are. Well, what's wrong with that? Hallmark Cards has made a gazillion dollars off that. I mean, it's Valentine's. I love you because of who you are. Well, how's it work? Basically, it goes like this. 
you draw a box in your mind, and I know this is a metaphor that I don't want you to take too literal, but you draw a box in your mind of this is what I'm looking for. This is the kind of person. I want a person of wholeness. I mean, you draw a box and you put traits in it. And I want, I want somebody lighthearted and witty and fun to be around. And I want somebody who's this. And, and, you, and you draw this box. By the way, this is a perfectly fine for dating. This system works for dating. It does not work for marriage. And I'm okay you even date with it. But don't you get married till you can discard this one and go to the next one. You draw a box, and, and I'm being a little uh, you know, obnoxious here, but, but you say, you know, no, I, no, 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 oh, yes, this is the right one, you know, whatever the case may be. And, and you need that box. If you didn't, you'd date some really weird people, okay? It, it, it's okay. But what you do is you say, this is the kind of person I want. Meanwhile, she has a box, and she's looking... And so what happens is they're kind of taking boxes and we find each other and go, wow, this, this works. Oh, this is terrific. We don't even know how to describe it. The chemistry seems right. The friendship seems right. We sort of get each other. We like the same kind of things. We have common interest. This is good. So what's wrong with it? It's perfectly fine for dating. You can't take it to marriage. It's, it's a little like a booster rocket. It starts something. It can't finish it. Why can't it finish it? Really simple. Stop that or I'm throwing you. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> let me take, let me oversimplify this. I feel bad. The biggest crowd is over here on this side. and You can't see the silly thing. Um, let me, let me show you what will play out. This one can't handle time. It can't handle time. This is great for a starter marriage. It won't work for a lifetime marriage. You realize, don't you, that you change a little in personality constantly? If I gave you a personality test every six months, you have marked incremental changes. We don't hardly notice them. But are you the same person you were at age 13? Of course not. If you are 23, can I tell you, you will not be the same person at 28 or 29. Now, you'll still be you. But let me take, let me take one, one deal. So they got married. And over a series of years, time has happened. Here's the most common thing that happens. I'll get a knock on my door and some uh, at the office. And I would open it up and... And, and, and I, I'm, I'm struggling to come up with a name because I know I recognize a face, sort of, but I, and, and she's going, you know, it's me. It's, you know, uh, remember you did our wedding nine years ago. You did our wedding eight years ago. Oh, Susie, my goodness. Haven't seen you forever. Yeah, yeah. How you doing? Oh, doing fine. I just was in Joplin. I was up here shopping. We live in Cassville, which is 50, 60 miles away. And, and I just... Just wanted to stick my head in, and, and, and we small talk and, and a little bit, and then she says, do you mind if I, if I close the door? I knew where this was headed. I've done this long enough. And she begins to cry. And she says, Randy, you made us commit that we would never do something stupid, that we didn't come talk to you first, and I'm, I'm caught. Randy, I, it's not working. Randy, I... I don't want to lose my marriage, but I don't love him anymore. And, it, and she'll cry and bawl at first, and then she throws a switch, and it flips, and she's so angry, and the anger comes out. Just a word to you guys. A girl's tears and a girl's anger are really close together, okay, just FYI. And then she will say he changed. Randy, ever since his brother moved to town, he's changed. Ever since he's got that stupid job, he's changed. Randy, he's and she begins to describe a guy she used to love, but now she's married to a guy that she doesn't really love because he's changed. And she says to him, Randy, but I want to fight for my marriage, and I want to be in love with him. And Randy, 
it, it, can, you get, can you contact him? He really respects you. And Randy, if you can you work with him. And, and she says, in essence, Randy, if you can get him back like he used to be, I, I think I could love him again. Sure, I'll, I'll get him back like he used to be as soon as I put the toothpaste back in the toothpaste tube. As soon as I rewind the sun from this morning. Well, here's what's happened. It's very simple. Let's take one trait, lighthearted, witty, and fun to be around. She married this 22, 24. I, by the way, it doesn't matter what age you choose. This is not about, well, if I choose a 30-year-old. No. Do you know the difference between a 30-year-old and a 4-year-old is massive? But let's take one, lighthearted, witty, and fun to be around. Let's, let's run a series of six months. Let's just run a series for eight or nine years of six months. What's happened to Mr. Lighthearted, Woody, and fun to be around? Well, right in here, they handed him a baby. And I have no idea what handed a man this baby hit him as hard as it did, but it was sobering to him. And I'm taking this child home, and I can't be the irresponsible, fun, life of the party kind of guy. At some level, he, that hit him hard. And somewhere right in here, he had a good buddy killed in a, car, in a motorcycle wreck or a car wreck. And right down here, he lost a parent. And right down here, they gave him 12 employees to supervise at work. And right down here, they gave him 36 employees to supervise. And right down here, they found a little knot on his neck, and they're calling it benign, and we don't think it'll come back, but, but it comes back about 7% of the time, and when it does, it metastasizes the lungs, and when it comes back, we don't have anything we can do about it. And so we think it's benign, but it's 93% chance that you'll never have to worry about it. And, and what happened to Mr. Lighthearted, Woody, and fun to be around? Oh, he's the same guy, but he's not the same guy. He changed. Well, what's the chances? See, eight or nine years have gone by as well. What's the chances she paralleled all of his changes just with him? On a 360-degree plane? Absolutely not. She's changed too. She was a 22, 23-year-old girl. Now she's not. She's a 31-year-old woman with two kids and life. We call it growing apart. And couples don't know what to do with it. Because this relationship was built upon common interest. It was built upon chemistry. It was built on our connection was right. It was, it was built on just uh, a sense of we fit. We really respected and admired, but... But here's, I'm, I'm not trying to be honry with this, but let me stand her right here. And it's like she married this guy, and she didn't want these guys. She wanted this guy, but seven years into her marriage, she's got this guy. I didn't want this guy. I wanted that guy. Yeah, but, but he turned out to be like this guy. I'm going to make a pretty simple observation. If you can fall in love with someone because of what they are, what do you do when they are no longer what they were? The basic motor that drives it. The basic concept. So what did they do? Well, you know what they did. He got really involved with the church. She got really involved with the kids. He got really involved with his work. She got really involved with the school. He got really involved in his recreation. She got really involved, and they just slowly drift apart. And they will begin to say things like, we don't do anything together. They begin to say things like what roommates say. I'll be doing this, you'll be doing that. Why can't we connect? I don't get it. What's, what's happening? This is 50% of all American marriages in the sense they had a crisis. It's all marriages at some level. Meaning what? Let me back up. Dating in America is, reminds me a little of picking up pups. That sounds really deep and theological, doesn't it? So you came to my, my garage, and you found a box of pups. You, you, you don't. This is hypothetical. But, but if you came to my garage and, and picked up, and we're going to take a pup to go home, you'd pick up a pup and go, eh, no, I don't like it. Its ears fall over funny. No, I don't like it. It's color. I, I don't like it. No, that one's too big. Oh, this is it. 
you post 7,000 Instagram pictures, and you know what I mean? And you know, this is it, you know? And how long after you take it home before it's ears full of, full of a funny like the one you didn't want? And how long before it's color changes like the one you didn't want? And how long before it's the size you didn't want? Right now in, in Joplin, Joplin's a small town. It's, Joplin's 50,000 in itself, but we have two little towns, uh, two towns, Carl Junction and Webb City that join it, so you can't tell it uh, when you leave one. Day. So we're at 90,000 metro. Quarter million people come into town every day to, um, for medical care or, or uh, restaurants. Uh, but we have 6,000 abandoned animals every year in Joplin. Why? Because the pup was perfect when we lived in that apartment, and the kids were that age, and we loved it, but the pup got big, and we changed, and that apartment, and it just didn't fit and didn't suit. And we don't know what to do, or the cat, or this, or you fill the blank in. Do you want to know why tons of relationships do not work? Is because they were situational relationships. When our common interest was what it was, when we had a shared life of the college years, when we were this young couple who really, I, she liked to go sit in the deer stand with him and, you know, that kind of thing, and he didn't mind doing, and, and the, you just fill the blanks in. But time can't handle it. If you were marrying a rock, great. 50 years later, that rock's going to look the exact same unless you've pounded it somehow. But you're not marrying a rock. You are marrying a very fluid person. In my own life, my wife, everybody who knew me when I was in college would have called me happy-go-lucky and very social. I think some of that was a bit of a, I don't think it was an act, but I think it was a little naiveness. I got in... I'm more of an introvert than it looks like. Nobody would have known that in college. And I was happy. I, I, I honestly was content. But my wife, she married a guy, we, Joplin and Tulsa are 100 miles apart. I'd get off work at 9 o'clock at night and say, I think we can get to Casa Bonita before it closes at midnight tonight. And we'd run to, you know, down and, and, you know, this is the old stories, things, and come back, and I didn't have to work till 6 in the morning, so it's no big deal. You know, I mean, I, I, that kind of thing. My wife is married to a brown paper sack right now. If I never went to another party, I would be perfectly happy. My favorite thing is to read or go out in my workshop and build some furniture. My wife could go, wait a second, I married this guy, but I got this guy. I almost got kicked out of college for one of what I considered one of the finest pranks ever pulled in college. <laughs> they called it breaking and entering. I don't know. It's kind of a funny little, little difference of opinion on these things. Do you know that is such a lifetime away? I can't even imagine being that guy. But I'm happy and content with who I am. I've just changed. Julie and I will be married 43 years in January, and my wife loves me as much or more now, and she's been married to at least three different guys. All of them me. Truth is, I've been married to two or three different gals. All of them her. And we've done great, and it's been a blast. Because the concept of I love you because, based on chemistry, it just doesn't work. So I don't care that if you date somebody and go, yeah, I, I like you, and you're fun, and we're good friends, and we like the same things. We like the same kind of, you know, push buttons on our radio. Got them all programmed to the same whatever it is but don't count on it. It won't, that, that will not be, it's not a good enough glue. That's why this one doesn't work. Does that make sense? I've spent most of my life at some level chasing couples down and going, please don't divorce your husband. Please don't. Please don't divorce your wife. Yeah, but I've outgrown him or I've changed and he hadn't changed. He deserves somebody who loves him. Joplin's a major medical community. I've chased down more doctors and specialists because they married some gal who was just 
the salt of the earth kind of gal, and she could make macaroni last three weeks. And they slaved through med school, and they were both burning the midnight oil, and they just were a couple of kids surviving in residency. And, and, but now life has changed. Now he's pulling in $575,000 a year, and, and he's taking his private private plane lessons so he can fly with two or three buddies that are out there and the RNs that he works with, they dress to the nines and they call him sir and because he does heart stuff or whatever, they kind of treat him like a god and meanwhile he's still married to an old farm gal who just loves him. But he wants a gal now who runs a different circle. Now a little more the country club, now a little more this and she's so busy taking care of kids, and she's so afraid of what that lifestyle of the money will do to him, and she's fighting hard for it, and he looks up, and I've chased that guy down many, many times. Bottom line, doesn't work. You can start with this one in your dating. Don't you dare get married till you change it. Everybody tracking with me? I, I could do it another 30, 40 minutes on this one that's got a couple more nuances that are kind of helping you understand culture, but it's not worth it. Let me get to what does work. I don't know if I'm right or not. This one is, this is the real one. This is the one we needed to get to starting last night. So how does Julie love me? After all, she knows every sigh I'm going to make. She knows every stupid dad joke I'm going to tell. She knows the way I, I mean, she, she has to be exhausted by being around the same old, you know, patterns that I have at some level. Why does Julie love me? There's a secret about the human heart you need to know. God wired it in. And it's a secret that if you understand, man, it, you don't need to fear the future. You really don't. It, it, it'll be so much fun. Let's just start with a very simple one. Why do we love what we love? Why do we love who we love? Let me play with a little thread that I think will make some sense. Um, so there's a monk. Remind me your first name again. Zane. Zane. Thank you. Um, so there's a mongrel dog running around Zane's neighborhood. You've got to use your imagination for this one. So this, this dog has mange, and Zane doesn't like the dog. Zane can't care about the dog. The dog's ugly and, and, and pretty diseased, in fact. And the dog is hanging around his house, and Zane can't stand it. So he's been chunking rocks at it, trying to make the stupid dog leave, and the dog won't leave. It just hangs around. And so it hangs around two or three days, and it gives him the weebie-jeebies. He does not like the dog. So he finally goes in because it won't leave. He goes in and calls the animal control officer and says, hey, I, I got this mangy mongrel dog that I need you to come get rid of. And, 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 and he knows what it means. Nobody's going to adopt this thing. It's going to kill it. But he wants it gone. And they say, yes, sir, Mr. Zane, be happy to, to, to do it. But we got a truck broke down, man on vacation, so it'll be a few days before we can get there. So he has not been looking after the dog in any way, shape, or form. Why? Because he doesn't want to stay but now that he knows they're coming, it's okay for him to do a little human kindness. Nothing should starve to death, right? So what's he do with the leftover biscuits and gravy from, you know, from breakfast? He goes out and goes, here, you stupid dog, if you want this. You know, I mean, just enough human kindness to, that if you want that, you can eat that for your last meal. And, and so he's doing that. And, and, and then he's got a little bit of leftover from supper, and he goes out and kind of does that. And, and let's picture February, and this part of the country, you can get an ice storm comes through. And I mean, it's absolutely icy, and that dog's under that bare lilac bush out there in the, in the, in the front yard. No leaves on it, just that dog's under there kind of curled up. And, and Well, nothing should freeze to death. So he's got that old lawnmower shed back there that's kind of got that broken bale of hay in it. And, and he goes and opens the door and says, here, you stupid dog, you can get in here if you want to. And the dog kind of gets up and slinks in and goes inside the shed. And sure enough, the dog pound comes in about three or four or five more days, but it's too late. Zane's already caught the dog, took it to the vet, spent $275 on it, and named it Bullet. <laughs> and when it died three years later, he cried like a baby. Whoa, what, what happened? Monday of last week, he couldn't stand the dog. And Monday of this week, he's spending $275. And he's beginning. What happened? Did the dog change? 
No. Dog didn't make change at all. What happened between Monday of last week and Monday of this week? Zane's behavior changed. I'm being a little ornery with this one, but stay with me. I'm going to take my magic wand and poof, I'm making you both sixth grade girls, okay? Poof. I gave you both gerbils. Neither one of you wanted a gerbil. I mean, last thing you wanted was a rodent in your bedroom. But anyhow, so I give you gerbils. And I give you instructions. And I say to you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to feed your gerbil every day, water it every day, clean its cage every week, and take it for a walk on Sunday afternoon. Okay? I mean, so here's your instructions. All right? Both of you rolled your eyes at the stupid instructions. But, by the way, you're not going to like me here in a second. You're self-disciplined. You actually have self-discipline. You actually have some rhythm in your life. And so you feed the gerbil every day. You water the gerbil every day. You clean its cage once a week. And Sunday afternoon, you take it for a walk. Okay? All right? You're a slob. Okay? Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm just sorry. I hate to, hate to say it that quite that way. But uh, some days you'd feed the gerbil and some days you wouldn't. Some days you'd remember to wa- water it. Some days you, you wouldn't. I mean, it, it was so hit and miss. In fact, one of the things that happened at the, at the kitchen table at supper most every night was you got in trouble because your mother would turn to you, a sixth grade girl, and say this classic mother line of, you know, did you feed your gerbil today? Oh, no, I forgot. Did you water your gerbil today? No, mom, I forgot. And mom goes, I know you didn't. I had to go feed the gerbil and I had to go water it. And then mom uses, again, a line that's such a setup. It goes like this. Do you have any idea how many times this gerbil would have died if I hadn't fed it? The answer is once, mom. It would have died once. But anyhow, that's not a... (laughs) That's not really the best place to stick that one in there. But anyhow. (laughs) So four months later, my magic wand, poof, both gerbils died that day. You are so relieved. (laughs) And yet you feel guilty. Did I do it? You have no idea. I mean, you're glad the gerbil is gone. It has created more confusion for you, and, and you're glad it's gone, and yet you do wonder how guilty to feel about it. You made a funny entry in a sixth grade girl's diary. I cried for a gerbil today. You actually had an affection. You guys get together and and, and she describes some emotion that's genuine. And the only thing you can think is you must have got a more cuddly gerbil than I got. No? No, there's a principle. It's a very simple principle. You find it in the Sermon on the Mount. You find it in Galatians chapter 5. Can I just kind of word it like this? God designed the human heart that goes like this. Where your investment is, there will your heart be also. We use that at offering meditations constantly. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And, And that's the right context. But where your investment is, there will your heart be also. In Galatians chapter 5, He talks about the only thing that counts as you serve the Lord is faith and love. And then he talks in chapter, in verses 13 through 16, that you go live a life of love where you serve. And then do you know what it says? The very first fruit that God gives you is love. Well, wait a second. Hang on. Is it a fruit or is it a root? The answer is yes. Where your investment is, there will your heart be also. Why do mamas love their babies? Well, it's pretty simple. Mamas always love their babies. No, they don't. No, they don't. I can take you tons of illustrations where they don't, but, but let me give you where they normally do. A mama has carried an imagination for a child her whole life at some level, this little girl. And when she gets pregnant, she's thrown up for three months. And she spends buku bucks at the doctor for all kinds of embarrassing examinations. And you go to every garage sale within 300 miles, and you start hanging dealy daubers in the nursery and painting it. And, and you write and scratch out 600 names. And you go through 22 hours of hard labor. And you bring a baby home that's colicky and a baby that's sick. And you walk and you get no sleep. And you sing over a baby and you walk. And, and this baby has no talent and no ability. And this baby is not a contributor in any way to the family except noise, confusion, and odor. And that mama loves that baby. We call it bonding. 
Why? It's very simple. Where your investment is, that you hurt me also. But I can chase you down any number of moms that they had their baby and Actually, they were maybe too young, too immature, so it was grandma's money spent at the doctor. It was grandma that fixed up the nursery. It was grandma that took the doctor aside and don't let her, don't let her labor be too bad. And so they coddle her, to use a pun. The baby comes home. Baby's not sleeping well, and, and grandma says, sweetheart, you get your sleep. I'll, I'll watch the baby in the middle of the night. You play this out as far as you want, and grandma's in my office three months later bawling. My own daughter doesn't love her own baby, and she doesn't. Who loves the baby? Grandma. Because where the investment is, there we are, me also. I'm not talking about odd things out there. I'm talking about a lifetime relationship. I owe most of my, my counseling. I've got, I've got a couple of degrees, which means that I have sat in an awful lot of chairs and paid some money. But I owe most of my counseling money to an old woman in my first ministry. I, I should pay her honestly. She, she was the best teacher I ever had. I'm 22 years old. I'm at my first ministry. I'm unloading the truck. We're unloading pianos and moving into the house, and there's a knock on my door, and a military guy is standing there, and, and he says, how do you do? He said, my name, you know, so-and-so, and he said, I'm, a, I'm at the church, and and he said, I didn't get a chance to meet you. I was off, you know, on maneuvers. And, 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 and then he said, do you have time to talk? And so we walked around behind the house, and he just began to lean against the house and ball. He said, my wife told me last night she doesn't love me. She told me she's never loved me, that, that she thought she loved me when we got married, but it was a mistake. She, she said she kind of married me out of desperation and, and thought life was passing her by, and, and she... We have children, and she said she's willing to stay with me while the kids are still little, and she's even willing to give me wifely duties and you know, translate that sex and fix meals, but she doesn't love me, and that one of these days we're going to call it quits. He said, will you talk to her? He's just bawling. My very first day at full-time ministry, I'd been doing ministry before part-time, but my first full-time day is an empty office, nothing in it, three metal folding chairs, him, her, and me. And I'm 22 years old. She tells the same story. Yeah, I shouldn't have married him. I got a little desperate. I don't love him. I don't think I've ever probably ever really loved him. Willing to stay with him for a little while, but for the sake of the little kids. And then they both turn and looked at me like I'm supposed to say something. What do you say? I hit about seven of those in a row. Bang, 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 bang. And I didn't have a good answer. If she said, I'm going to divorce him right now, I would have said, well, don't. But after that, what do you say? What, what, if somebody, I mean, under the systems that we have, I could have said, hey, you just need to treat her well enough that she automatically loves you back. That's the if. Or, hey, you just need to change and become what she needs and wants or what she thinks she wants. and you Stop being you and be somebody else. Those aren't answers. I was over my head. I went by and made a call on, an, on a widow woman. I'd never met her husband. He died about three months before I got town. But she's sharp. She's intelligent. She's articulate. She is uh, one of those widows that's just a, a blast to talk to. And she's cl- it's clear she loved her husband. And she's saying things... Like, I wish you could have known him. Boy, I wish you knew him. You know, he would have liked you, you liked him. And I took a risk. It's a risk that could have blown up on me. But I am desperate. And here's a woman who obviously loved her husband by all conversation. And I had heard about him. I heard he was a jerk. I heard he wasn't an easy guy to love. I heard that it's the happiest day of her life should have been the day this guy died. And she seems to love him. And here was my risk I took. I said, I'm over my head in marriage counseling. It's obvious you loved your husband. Can I ask you a question? How did you love him? Because people have told me he would have been very difficult to love. She reached across the table and took my hand, the coffee table, and held my hand and she patted it and said, Oh, sweetie, I'd love to tell you my story. And this is the story she told. 
She said, when we got married, she said, when we started dating, everybody told me not to date him, but she said he treated me like a million dollars, and she said I was good for him. I could tell his life got better, and she said he was a good man, and, 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 and she said I was beginning to feel like life was passing me by. She said back in those day to be, days to be 27, 28, and not have any prospects was a little scary, and she said, honestly, we were good for each other, and she said, it was, I fell in love with him, deeply in love with him, and he with me. My mom told me not to marry him, but my mom was just too controlling. And she said, we got married. And she said, for three, four months, we were deeply in love. And then she said, all hell broke loose. He went back to his drinking. And she said, it just began to unravel. And she said, over the next year, it went from me deeply loving him to a year later, I can't stand him. I can't have any children because if I have any children, this guy would be the father. My mother's going, I told you so. She said, I, I'm struggling. I, I, I cannot stand the man. She said, you can't even, she said, your memory will fall away. You can't even remember ever deeply loving him. But I knew I did. But it's changed. Now, I'm not recommending that you do what she did. I want you to do the principle here. She said, I was sitting there on Sunday mornings. She said, just daydreaming, planning my divorce. And she said, in those days, divorce was really rare. And she said, if you got a divorce in a little small town like this, she said, I'd probably have to move to Kansas City. She said, I, did, I probably would have moved to Kansas City, which is an hour and a half away. And she said, I'm sitting there looking at the stage where I had said, till death do us part. And I'm plotting, how do I get the money for the divorce? Where am I going to live? How am I going to pull this off? And she said, that's my tension. I promise God forever, but I can't handle forever. So she said, I decided to go home one day after church, and she said, I sat down and made a list of 40 things that a good wife would do for a husband if she did love him. She said, it's a pretty detestable list. Things like notes in his lunchbox and things like words of encouragement and meals when he's sober enough to eat them. And, and she said, let him touch you again. And, and she said, I made a list of 40 things. And she said, because I didn't like what I'd become either. She said, I was just surviving. She said, I'm just trying to keep my head above water. But she said, I decided if I could take three or four months and if I could clear my conscience and be the best wife possible to him, and if he hadn't changed at the end of four months, or whatever time it was, she said, I'll have a clear conscience. I can divorce him and say, I did what was right. And, and, and she said, I gritted my teeth, and I bowed my, my neck and my back, and I took off. And she said, it was a hard set of months. And she said, at the end of that, again, I can't remember, it was three or four months. She said, everything had changed. Oh, she said, he hadn't changed any. But she said, at the end of three or four months, she said, I was shocked at the emotion I had for him. She said, I begin to have feelings, and she said, they're not pity. Don't, don't misinterpret them. She said, but I begin to have things like, if I can't love him, where will he ever find any love on the face of this earth? And she said, and I begin to have things like, if he's going to spend eternity in hell, he at least deserves to be loved in this lifetime. And she said, I begin to see him more as a wounded individual, not so much a villain. And she said, I begin to see there was a good man in there who was so trapped, and I was in love with a good man. And she said... It changed everything. She said, I don't want to tell you me married to him was easy in those first set of years. She said, I'd have to get that list out of her now and then, grip my teeth and start back in again so my heart would come back. But she said, every time it did. She said, you know, it really wasn't long. She said, it wasn't more than five or six years that one morning he broke down at the kitchen table and started bawling because he realized I was having a better marriage than he was having. And he began to bawl and say, how do you do it? How do you love me? And she said, I began to explain. And she said, we talked. And she said, you know what? He begged me what I teach him how to love. And she said, we had a great marriage. She said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade my marriage for most anybody in this you know, entire country. She said, most women learn how to live with their husbands. I learned how to love mine. And he learned how to love me. She said, he never really learned how to do it with neighbors. They never saw the same guy. And here's the part you've got to hear. She reached across and patted my hand and said this, Sweetheart, 
you tell those couples you're working with that their being in love doesn't have much to do on who they're married to. It has almost everything to do on how you treat who you're married to. Now, that's why, by the way, you have to have wholeness to do this. If you don't have wholeness, you can't do this. Without wholeness, you'll find somebody the chemistry is right, but time will put you in a bind that when you reach into your backbone to do what's required, it's not there. Can I tell you what the essence of a Christian marriage really is? This is the part that I get to go right almost to the biblical concept. The word covenant shows up on my marriage license. I have an Oklahoma marriage license, got married at Waukegan, Oklahoma. And it talks about the covenant of marriage. The word covenant is just an old word. We don't hardly use that much anymore, but I guarantee it's a million miles from the word contract. The word contract in essence means I make an agreement, you make an agreement, you keep your part, I keep my part. But if you don't keep your part, I don't have to keep mine. That's what a contract is. You give me money, I give you lumber. But you stop giving me money, I'll stop giving you lumber. I stop giving you good lumber, you stop giving me money. Everybody understands that. That's what contracts are. Covenant is not that. A covenant is a whole different concept. And my covenant, by the way, from Malachi, book of Malachi, Proverbs chapter 2, my covenant in a marriage is not with my spouse. Oh, the day I got married, I stood up here and held Julie's hands, and I said set of vows to her, but that's because our culture does it that way, and it's not a bad set of vows to give, but the truth is, here's what comes. You can date. I'm all right with you dating, but there comes a place in time that you say sort of a time out in your head, and you go, wait a second. God, you brought this, you brought Julie into the world and you'll take her out. And she's a daughter of yours. And God, if I sign on to be her husband, you are my father-in-law. God is my father-in-law. And God, I'd like, if you will let me, I'd like to sign on to be the raw resource of life that you use to bless her the rest of her life. I want you to use my life. Spend it any way you want. I want to partner with you. You love her. You put your spirit in her. You redeemed her. You have plans for her. She is your daughter. God, I would like to vow with you. Would you use my life for her sake? And when you do that, it's easy some days because Julie's at the top of her game and she's so easy to love. And there's some days, Julie will be like everybody else, that she has her own stumbles. James chapter 3 says we all stumble in many ways. Everybody marries a stumbler. She happened to marry a guy who stumbles more than she stumbles, I promise you. But, but there's days and weeks. But it matter. If I treat her well because she treats me well, but if she happens to have a bad month or bad year or bad sick, you know, whatever it is, boy, in a contract you sort of get even. In a covenant, you don't. You worship. And you get up this morning and you grit your teeth and you say, today, today I'm going to take good care of her. In essence, a real biblical marriage is two whole people who covenant with God. And they're both married to stumblers. Every woman's going to marry a doofus. I promise you. There are no guys out there that at some level are not a doofus. They're just not. Every guy is going to marry a gal who her own emotions confuse her, let alone anybody else. But there are two people who didn't make an agreement with each other. They made an agreement with God. And so the most vital thing my wife has ever done, the entire marriage, is when she got up in the morning, at some level, my wife, as she's washing her face and combing her hair and putting her makeup on, is somehow today, God Use my life to invest in my husband. I want to worship you, Lord, by taking good care of him. And every day at some level, when I'm brushing my teeth, and I guess combing my hair probably is a misnomer, but, but today, God, 
Don't let me waste the day. This is a daughter of yours. Last thing you could do is go back to God and say, you know, I know she's your daughter, but she's not good enough for me. I know she's your daughter, but she's got too many flaws. This covenant concept's pretty simple. I got to see it play out a little bit in my own life with my own daughters. Katie is my middle child, and Josh was a guy in our congregation, and they were dating, and he gave me a call and said, Randy, Mr. Garris, he went to Mr. Garris on this one. Mr. Garris, can I, can I buy you breakfast this week sometime? I knew where this was headed. So we went to a restaurant. We sat there, and he asked, I'd like permission to marry your daughter. I knew Josh, loved Josh, great guy. I could have easily just said yes, but no, I need to put him through the ringer first. <laughs> and the truth is, it's not just that. It's this little girl was handed to me in my whole life. The only thing that mattered, I don't care what I have to do, I want to look after this little, little girl. She's plenty capable and whole and all those things, but part of love is investment. And, and to hand her off to another guy, here's my question. And I asked Josh. I said, Josh, I, I respect you. I admire you. I know you. You're one of my heroes. But Josh, will my daughter be safe with you? Will God's daughter be safe with you? Physically, emotionally, will you spend your life not with just a peer? Will you spend your life? Will you cup your hand, the whole of your life, and go, here, Katie, step in this. Just climb any fence you need to climb. I, I want to spend my life and Josh reached across the table and said, Mr. Garris, I give you my word. Nothing in my life will be more important than looking after her. Well, some people would immediately go, wow, that's just servanthood. You're giving your life away. You're just using your... Here's that great secret in heaven. Here's how I think a wedding should occur. I think a guy holds a girl's hand and says, Heavenly Father, I think I love her, but how do you know on these things? I mean, how do you know? But Heavenly Father, I know I love you. And I know she's yours. And you brought her in the world and you'll take her out. And you put your spirit in, and she's a daughter of yours. And I vow with you the whole of my life I'll look after her. She can't change enough in personality that I won't chase her down and keep investing. She doesn't have to meet any needs in my life for me to give love. I'm going to chase her down and love her at every level, invest in her. And God, will you, will you strengthen me for every single day for whatever that requires? For better, for worse, rich or poor, sickness and health, love and a cherish, personality variation of any kind I'm taking care of her and a girl stands here and says Heavenly Father I think I love him but how do you know about these things but I know I love you and he's a son of yours and so God I covenant with you will you use my life as the raw resource to look after him and as that couple goes down the aisle God winks and nudges the angels and says, watch this. She's going to be in love with a doofus. And he's going to be in love with a stumbler. Julie has loved me, not because of me, but because of her worship. Well, doesn't my partner have anything to do on how I feel toward him? Oh, sure, just less than you think. You guys, where you're staying is down to the south. If the wind were blowing really, really hard out of the south, and I sent you down and said, hey, I want you to go down to the, to the lodge. Last thing I want you to come in is about four or five minutes from now and go, I tried, but the wind was really hard. You know, I'm going to go, you wimp. Bend over. You may have to fight it. You may have to even get on hands and knees. I don't know how hard you'll have to work at it, but don't tell me the wind was too hard for you to get there. 
On the flip side of that, if the wind's out of the north really hard, it's a cakewalk. It, it, I mean, it just almost took you there. You will either be the wind in your partner's face to make it easier to love you, or you'll be the wind behind their back making it hard, you know, the wind in the face make it harder to love you, or the wind behind your back make it easier. But whether they love you or not really doesn't have a lot to do with you. By the way, that's why marriages are grown-ups. That's why just being in love with somebody is not enough. This is why you got to be worshipers. This is why the great unseen in every great marriage is a God who walks with you to strengthen you to love somebody in the difficult and in the easy. And out of that comes the fruit of a lifelong marriage. Does this make sense? We'll get into dating, but here's the sequence. Don't you get in a serious dating relationship till you have enough wholeness to live out the, the love and the, or to live out the claims that love makes on you? Don't you get out on a serious dating relationship of any kind with anybody who you don't begin to see evidence that they could live that out? Don't you get in a serious dating relationship until you understand this is far more than friendship and chemistry, that there's a great ancient secret at work, far older than the rocks, far older than the oceans, that if I'm going to love somebody, it comes out of where your investment is. That's the foundation. Now we can date. Now we can go and start this journey. And not everybody you date will turn out to be the one you ought to marry. That will, we'll pick that up at the next session. But that's the foundation. God bless. Thanks. Who would give you, give you about 30 minutes uh, to head out? Thanks, sir.